We all know there are things in life you have to compromise on, like going out instead of staying in or eating fast food instead of cooking at home. But when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now, or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist, and these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. I know the next time I need a doctor, I'm definitely logging on to ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com bunny, B-U-N-N-I-E, and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C, dot com slash bunny b-u-n-n-i-e zocdoc.com slash bunny if you ask me nothing stinks more than when your husband dutch ovens you with a big ripe juicy one and then holds your head down under the covers except maybe body odor that's why i'm excited to tell you about lumi whole body deodorant lumi delivers outrageous 72 hour odor control everywhere from your pits to your feet and yes even those private parts as a special offer new customers get 15 percent off all lumi products with our exclusive code and link use code bunny b-u-n-n-i-e at lumideodorant.com that's l-u-m E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. You guys know I absolutely love Lumi. I rock it everywhere I go. I work long hours. So if I'm doing like a podcast run or if I'm out at one of my husband's shows or just overall anxiety ridden and I'm sweating, Lumi has saved me so many times, especially a toasted coconut. I feel like it masks my odor a little bit more and especially that right armpit that always smells like beef stroganoff. If you know, you know. Once again, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off their starter pack. Use code BUNNY, B-U-N-N-I-E, for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code BUNNY, B-U-N-N-I-E, at L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. Is this thing on? All right, gentlemen, coming to main stage next, this is Bunny. Get up there. She's got a tornado of titties coming your way. Get those dollar bills ready. She's got an ass that shakes like Michael J. Fox. So get up there and throw, throw, throw them dollars. Dude, that is fucking iconic. <laughs> What's up, you sexy motherfuckers? Welcome to another episode of Dumb Blonde. Today, I got the most eligible bachelor in rock. I don't know if I'm <laughs> eligible. Oh, shit. I, I didn't know. I thought you were. Are you single? You're single. I'm you? single, but that doesn't mean I'm eligible. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, don't be whoring me out. Lady. We don't. Uh, no, listen, we don't do. This is a house of no. We don't do long term relationships at the house of Tommy Vex. Oh, shit. Yeah, we don't do that. We tried it. Didn't work. Ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Vexed. Hi. We're so happy to have you here. It's good to be here. Dude, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. I know. We I'm got s- in. Oh, we've been here for, I got in yesterday, and here we are. What are you doing in my neck of the woods, our neck of the woods? All kinds of things. I had, uh, yeah. we had had dinner and a photo shoot with Struggle, so me oh. and Struggle Jennings are going to be announcing uh, a co-headlining tour. Yeah, Very excited about that. Yeah, so, that is exciting. Yeah, we might do some musical collaborations as well. Dope. Yeah, yeah. So. But the Patriots are linking up. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good you guys, thing. You guys are like the new bad boys club. Well, yeah, basically anybody who um, anybody who has an opinion right. <laughs> and says it. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny to me because I grew up, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and I'm 39. Like I grew up in CBGBs and, you know, I grew up in hardcore and gangster rap and death metal and hardcore metal and mm-hmm. all that, you know, and the whole attitude of like punk rock and, and the whole, it's not just an aesthetic, it's a lifestyle and yeah, the lifestyle sure. is 
fuck you. Yeah. It's anti-state, anti- It's anarchy, pretty much, is kind of like what it is. Well, I don't think it's anarchy. I think it's more like, it's it's more- Rebellious. Yeah, it's rebellion. It's more in line with libertarian values of like, no government, they'll get out of my business, fuck you, like, let everybody live and let live kind of vibe. Right. And to see, you know, like in 2020, just mad people. (laughs) Yeah. The unmentionables. Yeah. Because I've been- I've been spilling the tea on too many people. I, I actually got a text message from a a multi, multi like a, a band that sells 30 million records and was like, don't involve us in there, you know, because mm. I'm taking people out. I'm sniping people out. We're going to get to that. But oh, I kind of yeah, want yeah. to kind of paint a picture of Tommy that most people don't get to hear. So you said you grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn, South Brooklyn. Brooklyn. What was yeah. that like growing up? Oh, it was chill. It was chill. It was a little like, uh, you know, my my twin brother and I, our mom was a crackhead. So she abandoned us at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then my parents that raised us, uh, they were on the list to adopt one baby. And the hospital called and said, would you take two? And they said, yeah. So they so my my mother and father who raised us took took me and my brother in and then a couple years later adopted my sister and it was it was they really my dad was a vietnam vet he was a marine and my godfather and uncle and everybody was in the marines right you know and and they were working class and you know so i got those values early on you know and uh and then as i got to like pre-teens that whole age like my brother started having severe mental health issues and Mm -hmm. he was being institutionalized and then my dad who had been sober for 20 years wound up relapsing then my mom took my sister and ran away because the house was so crazy right um so to to like protect my sister look at this guy (laughs) so so sorry listen don't don't put any animals in front of me dogs (laughs) otters rabbits like i'm like oh he's trying to make his way to your microphone this is his show i know um so i wanted to touch back on your um your brother because i remember the first time i had ever heard of you Mm. i was driving and i heard a bad wolf song song come on and you i think it was remember when yeah that's just yeah Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, I called Jay, and I was like, "Babe, you're gonna love this dude. You gotta check him out. Check out this song. You're gonna it, like it'll resonate with you." But I remember you did talk about your brother in that song, right? Is it that one or the other one? Yeah. So that song actually talks about. So, you know, it goes through me and my brother growing up together, and then being twins and being inseparable, and then eventually, uh, you know, where I was getting in the story, my dad relapsed on alcohol. My mom left. The house was you know my brother became a drug dealer then i was a drug dealer you know we were i was still doing bands so i didn't really i didn't get too deep into the game because i knew the consequences and so music was something because i'd been playing concerts since i was 14 like i had a fake id we'd play down in in new york city and you know then they'd realize we weren't old enough to be there they'd be like play your show and get out of here (laughs) that was my next question too is what is has music always been a part of your life yeah since i was about 12. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, and then simultaneously drugs and alcohol happened around the same time. And so it started out with playing shows and stealing, stealing booze with my friends, you know, right. from my parents' liquor cabinets to smoking weed, to doing acid, to doing ecstasy, to sniffing coke. And then, <laughs> oh, we could sell this stuff and we can make money right. to pay for demos and like, you know, right. just like that whole thing. So the hustle, the, the hustler hustle, mentality though. Yeah. And it's, and, and basically growing up where I grew up you had no other options right yeah. so you either like nobody was going to school and get going to college and getting a degree or doing anything respectable you were like the best job you could do is is get a job working for the city you know uh work for the transit authority work for sanitation work become for a the man police officer or mm-hmm. a fire firefighter or emt or something and right. that was kind of it right you know and so You're uh, like fuck that yeah yeah so you know, me and my brother did our thing, and um, I almost got killed when I was, I think, 20 by a gang. They, like, hit me with their car, pulled over, beat me up with baseball bats, me and my friend James. And um, we, like, somebody pulled up on us getting, like, beat to death in the, in, in an alleyway. Golly. And, uh, and then scared the kids off, and I was done. That was enough for me. I got the wake-up call. So I was like, yo. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing this shit anymore, and so... I that just, was it. That was the defining moment where you were just like, I'm going to change my life. No, I didn't. I didn't. I still didn't get sober, but I was like, I, I decided that if I could become a rock star, 
I could run away from all of the problems and my childhood and my parents and all the pain and all the, you know, everything. Right. And so I decided that's what I was going to do. Was there, wasn't there a situation that happened between you and your brother? Yeah, that was many years later. Many years later. Okay. So that was in 2010. So fast forward from, I guess, basically 2000, early 2000s to 2010. So at this point I had moved to California um, I got signed to Roadrunner Records. I was in a band with uh, Dina from Fear Factory and Tim from Morbid Angel and Joe mm-hmm. from Niles. Oh my like God, Morbid Angel. I yeah, heard that in so long. Yeah. And they used to be on the Bob Larson show. Do you know who Bob Larson is? No. So the lead singer of Morbid Angel, his name was Trey, I believe, or something like that. I cannot remember. This there's was... two. There's David Vincent and there's an, there was a, there's a replacement guy who was not the... I not forget, da- not I David forget. Vincent. So I forget his name, but he, my dad was obsessed with this talk show, Bob Larson, and he, he was the lead singer of Morbid Angel. And he would call in, and his demons would talk to Bob Larson on the air. Like, oh, <laughs> um, that's amazing. Yeah, I've dude, never heard this. you gotta Google this. Okay. I swear to God, the lead singer, and that's why I think his name is Trey. But you'll have to just Google Bob Larson, Morbid Angel, and it's, all right. it's a whole little wormhole you'll go down. All but right, that's all how right. I grew up. So this is what I'll be doing on my flight tomorrow to Chicago. <laughs> Like, right. Oh my God, this is so weird. I'm just listening to it. Paying forty dollars for Wi-Fi for two hours. <laughs> All right. So you had this band formed. Yeah. So we did this band. I put out a record. Traveled all over the world. I still, you know, and I was, I was born addicted to drugs and alcohol. I just didn't know. Wow. So I took my alcoholism and my drug addiction with me. So going to California didn't save me. You know, and right. I, and and. It's funny because when I look back, I, I wrote a biography that is going to come out next year. And I, I remember looking back and being, I was such trash. No. When I moved from Brooklyn to L.A., I moved to East L.A. I lived in a closet in a trap house mm. that was like they were selling weed and, and meth out of the house. Wow. And that's what, and then I was taking the bus everywhere because I didn't have a license because in New York City, you don't have, you know, no one can afford a car anyway. So you take the train. And so I was riding the bus and I was I was bouncing at the Roxy and the Key Club and then getting out of work and then coming back home, waking up, going to the studio, you know. Right. Work, but music work. was always your, your Yeah, that one was the thing. driving yeah. force, yeah. It kept me out of trouble. And um yeah, and so you know, the band got signed. We me and the guitar player, we had we bumped heads a lot. Um and then finally we got into a huge argument and I like I just knocked him out on stage <laughs> in front of everybody. And then I, I was out of the band. Then I joined. <laughs> then I joined. Uh, you're like, this is not. This you're not allowed. You're, that, that's it. We're drawing the line here. You can do all the drugs in the world, but fucking yeah, yeah. knocking out people on stage. That's the line. Well, this drawn. is a, this is the thing that's interesting about the metal industry is like it's a lot of pseudo tough guys. Oh right? yeah, no, for sure. And so all these dudes are out there like, yeah, like I have tattoos and I'm tough, and I'm like, dude, like, nah. Right. So you can only like in, at that point, our power, like our power dynamic was this guy used to be super famous and I looked up to him. So he kind of punked me and bullied me for as long as he could. And then I just waxed him. Right. And then well, you just, it was a lot of pent up aggression. Yeah. And then, and then months later, like I, I auditioned to sing for a punk band called snot mm-hmm. and the singer had passed away. I used to listen to them, you know, me and my brother used to listen to that record and smoke weed together and, you know, yeah. skip school. Like, and then I'm singing for that band. That's and awesome. then this guy gets mad about it and runs his na- he runs his mouth in the press. And so I'm backstage at a Slipknot Disturbed show and I see him and then we just I just squared up with him. Right. And well, I, you had it coming. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing is me like when I was drinking, I would just beat anyone's ass or get my ass beat. Like I'm not like oh, I'm a tough guy. Like I've got right. my ass kicked. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> I don't have that like uh you know, it could go either, one of either way. Right. But I also learned growing up fighting, I don't act a certain way because I don't want my motherfucking ass whooped. Yeah. So the street will teach you how to, oh, yeah. you know, there's a moral compass mm-hmm. of growing up with physical violence as a consequence of your actions. I grew up in the street, so I completely understand. Which people don't have nowadays. Mm-hmm. The younger generations, because everyone's, as soon as a fight breaks out, everyone's like, Shh. 
That or they want to pull a gun out. Well, yeah. Like nobody wants, it's either a camera or a fucking gun. Like nobody yeah. knows how to square up and just fight anymore. Well, nobody in the metal industry is pulling out guns. to be like, <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I might. <laughs> <laughs> pull it, pull it, put them up, put them up. Like, hey, hey. So, you don't like my demos, I'll shoot <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I've realized that because I've been around a lot of the music scene pretty much my whole life too. And it, it's, it's crazy because you see these people on TV, you hear their music and stuff like that, and then you meet them and they're completely different humans. Yeah, yeah. So, but on the same way though, because I'm like, I'm like, I'm, you know, people are like Tommy Vex is a monster and bottle. Yeah, I don't feel like that. I feel, I mean, well, I don't you feel read like the headlines. <laughs> it's just like Tommy Vex tries to kill everybody. No, I don't yeah. feel like you're a different person. In, yeah, you know, like in person, I feel like you legit kind of keep the same, you know, yeah, personality. But not, there's nothing to keep. It's just you, you being yourself it's like nirvana like come as you are right right you're just like all right cool that's it there's nothing else so you became yeah. the lead singer of snot yeah and then we did that band and then uh that's where i hit rock bottom i, right. I was in a relationship and uh my ex had uh she miscarried very late term pregnancy miscarriage probably due to drugs and stress and and all the other stuff uh i took that as a green light to try to commit suicide Aww. with drugs and alcohol yeah and i was like i'm gonna fucking that's it so i went for a whole year basically just pouring everything into my body right i ended up homeless um i od'd and i didn't die and um my buddy sonny mayo from snot he let me live on his couch mm. and i started going uh to recovery meetings with him and so mm. at the time he had set he has got seven years more than me so He's 19 years sober now. I'm 12. And when I was new, he was seven years sober. And so him and his, his ex-wife took me in. And it was it was wild, man. Yeah. Uh, it was like for the... Uh, I got a sponsor and my sponsor was like, you have to quit the music business for your first year of recovery because you're not going to be able to do this. Like, yeah. you're, you're a mess. And this is not working out for you. And... The lifestyle is so hard to, yeah. to separate. When I got sober four, four or five years ago... I had to stop like kind of touring with Jay after that because it's just so hard to. You got to get your legs underneath. You, right. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that that's important. You know, you know it, it, we'll come back to that. But I, I think that is very important to focus on handling the situation because it eventually will become a life and death situation. Right. And it might not be, you know, this is why I tell people if you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, or even mental health issues or suicidal thoughts or whatever, get help now. Right? Yeah. You don't have to wait till the elevator goes all the way to the bottom floor and you're in hell. Yeah. You know, because the, the bottom floor is a coffin. Yeah. You can get off at any time and then just start taking the stairs back up. Yeah. It's a long way back up. No, it's, you know, mental but, health is a huge issue. We, I'm a huge advocate for it because getting sober. I didn't realize that I had depression because mm. I was always masking it. Yeah, we I, medicate it, yeah. I've always had severe anxiety. Like, even walking into here with all the weed going on, I'm, like, in full panic mode, you know? Like, I hate it. But um, getting sober, you really have to get to know yourself. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. And there's nothing there to cushion it. So you're just like, holy shit, all these feelings from fucking who knows what I've gone through. Fucking. Well, it's like... It's like it's like driving in a in a pickup truck yeah. with the window open in the back. Yeah. But there's all the garbage of your whole <laughs> yeah. life. Like and Sanford and Son. You're speeding. Just, yeah. And then there's traffic <laughs> and you hit the, the brakes and all yeah. the shit comes in the window and uh, is in your lap and you're like, oh my God, what do dude, I do? <laughs> listen, the past two years have been brutal. We I've been on like the soul searching mission. So what was it like for you? Did you quit music that first year? Or did you continue, or did you take um, his, Sonny's advice? No, I, I mean I took uh, I I stopped doing music and I got a job at a dog kennel for the first like two months of my sobriety, and I just went to as many meetings as I could, and I went through the steps, and then I applied for a scholarship from the Music Cares Foundation because I was broke, and they put me in a sober living, a men's sober living. So then I was like in the men's sober living then i got a job as a doorman at a at a bar dope so you were able to get your legs underneath you and then yeah yeah and then i did i would teach singing lessons to different you know different artists in in la who were trying to get better and work on their whatever whatever it was and so i did that and i got my got my bearings and um 
I didn't date my first year. I waited like nine months and then I, I met this girl and I was like, can I just please? <laughs> like, I find that hard to believe because to me, you come across to me as like a hopeless romantic. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 my thing is, is that many years, there are two, the two most broken relationships in my life are, you know, have come up in my relationship, my romantic relationships. And one of them being my twin brother, mm-hmm. who I desperately could not save. Right. I, and there's nothing I could have ever done to save that man. And I loved him more probably more than i love myself you know that's remember when twin, he talks dude. about that's like well he i looked i looked up to him like he was always cooler than me he was always like you know uh is he still around yeah he's in prison he's doing he's serving a 20 year sentence for trying to murder me right and that's, that's what remember when is mm. about and so but yeah so yeah i got sober about a i moved back to new york because my mom and my sister there was no sober man in our family for like 15 years I wanted to amend that relationship, um, and uh, I know I'm jumping all over the place. No, you're good. It all comes together. I yeah, promise. and then and then <laughs> and then one night I had come home from being on a date, and um, you know my brother had broken into the apartment, and he hit me from behind with a crowbar. He fractured my skull. I, what was I he? Fought him. Was it just mental health issues? Or? Nah, he's smoking angel dust. Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, you know the smell. Like, any, like anybody who knows that that's, that smell, you're like, oof. Yeah. You know? And so we fought, and uh, I fought him off. He broke my arm, and then he beat, he beat me with a crowbar, and it, and it broke, perforated my spleen. Yikes. And so I, I, I bled out. I was rushed to the hospital. I went to the ER. Like, my spleen burst. I bled to death. My mama got to the hospital. Like my friends had got there. My sister, like it was very traumatic. Uh, you know, the girl I was dating, I literally had a seizure and like oh. went out. And so, um, that's gotta be so traumatic to have to even try to work through that. You know, even now it, it, t- it took years. Yeah. It took, you know, the, it, I guess remember when it came out in 2018. So, it took eight years, and I, I, I never stopped writing music like I always write. To It took eight years just to be able to put the our, our story. It's not my story. Just it's, pen to it's paper. It's our story, yeah. Yeah. And the reason why, um, you know, it was a hard thing to do, and I remember Wayne Isham directed the music video, and he's done, like, Michael Jackson and Backstreet Boys and Madonna, and he was so compelled by the story. I took my mom, my sister out to dinner and I was like, Hey, I just want, you know, I wanted to get your guys permission. Cause I'm going to tell this story, you know? And yeah, I made my sister really uncomfortable. We didn't talk for like six or eight months after she was like very uncomfortable that it was exposed. But my mom said to me, she was like, if you, if one family, if you help one family feel less alone in this struggle that we know, then it was all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you did it so eloquently too. It's not like you like Yeah, it wasn't there's no, dragged him or anything no, like that. No. Like you really just genuinely told a story. I, un- and I mean, I understand for I, people. I understand that he's sick. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I have compassion for him. So I don't I don't have hate in my heart for my brother. Like I don't I honestly don't have hate in my heart for anybody. Right. You know, which is probably also why people get mad at me. <laughs> people try to fuck with me and I'm like, "Okay." Like, <laughs> Here it is. Send. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that you people can't shame you if you put your own business out there. You know, like so many people in this industry try to hush people by holding shit over their heads. Well, and it's I like, have, I have nothing to be ashamed about. Right. So exactly. Everything that's every anything that, you know, as of late, like especially since I came out for a political party in 2020. And if you look at my entire life in the press, mm-hmm. for my entire sobriety for 12 years, right, has been. All of the good that I've done, I've gotten awards for being in sobriety. I've gotten uh, for for my service to other people. I've donated tens of thousands of dollars to recovery homes. I've I've sponsored endless amounts of people. I I became a drug and alcohol counselor, Aww. and I worked with celebrities. I'm, I lived with Justin Bieber. I've li- like a laundry list of people who I helped get through their first thirty days to sixty days of recovery. Yeah, I worked for Five Finger Death Punch. People knew. The only reason I wound up singing for their European tour was because I was there to help Ivan not mm-hmm. relapse. Yeah, no, I, I actually got to witness Ivan firsthand laying on a, a hotel room floor in his own puke, mm. just he, in was the scary. thralls of addiction. Yeah, he was really bad. And he's always been so sweet. And that's yeah. not me, you it's, know, it's spilling tea or see, anything like it's that. It's hard to it's see a real. good person. But that the, it's not about this. It's like 
it's not like I don't again like what my brother like I don't it's not weakness or strength it's like that's the disease working on a person yeah so talented and so Absolutely. special and gifted that nothing is enough right. to stop you like when when you're afflicted with the disease and I've been that guy on the floor yeah so we were really scared we didn't know you know me filling in for them wasn't like a glorious time it was filled with anxiety and like is this guy gonna be okay what are we gonna do next um, and I think that what their band did is very commendable Absolutely. because they sent they sent their singer to go get better. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then when he was better, he came right back. Yeah. And it was like, and when he came back, it was like a phoenix. Right. He just like didn't miss a beat. Yeah. But that's the power of recovery working in a person's heart. Oh, it's amazing. You know? So let's rewind. You went through this with your brother, and then you came. How did what was next after that? After that happened. You know, musically, where did you go from there? Um, well, so the so my brother tries to kill me. <laughs> I was gonna. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing gonna, at years. No, it's funny. It's no, just, it's just the brother, way you said it. So my brother tried to kill me. I, um, me and Tyler, Stephen Tyler's daughter, picked me mm-hmm. up from the hospital and I talked to her me. all the time. I love Mia. Tell her I said what's up. I, I, haven't, I haven't talked to her in a while. You should. She's um, so sweet. Well, she took care of me. Aww. So she took me to her dad's house in yeah. Massachusetts, and and her and uh, my friend Brooke, they took turns taking care of me, and I got better. And um, you know, I had, uh, time went by. I healed. Mm-hmm. I started going back to the gym again. I mean, I was really banged up. I was I was in bed mentally for a and physically. Yeah, and then I went, um, there was like a benefit concert and like, and a couple of bands played, God forbid, played at Muni Within, and the, the club that I had worked for threw me a show at the club um, because all, all my coworkers were like super sweet. And then I remember going to see Corn and Disturbed mm-hmm. because David donated to my, my benefit, right? Aww. So at the show in this moment was opening and they said hey we need can you come on tour and sing with us i love maria yeah and i was like when like now so i was (laughs) like okay so they had a song called the promise and they asked me to come out and fill in because the real guy who sang it adrian yeah adrian i went to i grew up with adrian okay yeah he had some other i don't know if he had another tour or something happened and he couldn't do it so so then I went out on tour with them and I'm like, oh my God, you know, so it's like the roller coaster, of right. the Tommy Bex show. And I'm like, oh, now I'm singing one song a night and, you know, I'm, I have nothing to do but go to the gym all day. But I'm like, right. I feel like I'm doing something again. And, mm. you know, I'm like. Like you have purpose. Yeah. Purpose. And then, that's a huge thing, though, to feel like you have purpose. Well, yeah. After all that. Absolutely. You know, too, and, and then, you know, it's like being on tour as a guy and, you know, being on a tour like that and being young and being in shape and not drinking i'm like there's a lot you know the ladies are there <laughs> so i was doing that and i was like oh, and that's you why know. i called you the most eligible bachelor just because you know i i would think it literally and figuratively speaking because you know you are single so i'm sure there's tons of women who are just always throwing themselves at you but also like even now after all that stuff has happened with bad wolves you're like an independent artist so you're like the you know and you know figuratively speaking yeah i mean We'll get to all that. <laughs> We're going to get to my dating life after this. So my, so I love I co- how Tommy comes in here and he's like, I'm controlling your podcast. Well, it's like, it's, everything has to be chronological. No, so I, I come, I I come up the corn tour and the police are at my apartment and they're like, get in the car. We got to go. And I'm like, why? And they're like, I, we'll tell you when we get to the station. And I go see That's the That's fucking D- scary. Yeah. So the DA brought me up and, they'll, and uh, the DA played me a phone call of my brother hiring a hitman to murder me. My, oh my but my dumbass brother made the call from Rikers Island where they record all the calls. Oh, <laughs> and he, and so he was like, "Is this real?" And there were two problems. I knew the guy he was talking to, and I knew if I told the cops or the DA who the guy was, my whole family would die. Right. So I was like, "Fuck!" So I went into witness protection program. So I spent the wow. next eleven months in the witness protection program. In California and Florida, hiding from this dude. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, th- so like that was like way more psychologically damaging. I bet than the actual, you know, sixty seconds of how I almost got murdered because that fight lasted maybe two minutes. Right. Right. But eleven months of looking over your shoulder 
will fuck you up. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's you're in constant fight or flight. Yeah. So and and I was living off three hundred dollars a month. That's all the government would give me. That's so crazy to yeah. me that they would put you in witness protection and be like, here you go, fucking barely survive. Well, because I'm a musician, they the way that that works is they gave you they give you like a percentage of what your normal income would be until the trial starts. And so, cause I didn't make any money. That's what they gave me. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was the judicial system is a joke. <laughs> I mean, everything's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything's a joke. <laughs> and so I went through all that. And then I remember I got a phone call from one of the homies who was like, so-and-so is dead. Hmm. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. So the so the contract the uh, hitman the well I don't or know. whatever he was we don't we didn't have gangs or hitmen or this mm. or the other motherfuckers just did jobs back right, in the day right, right? right. like a, a gotcha. nigga would a nigga would do a job right you're like I have a job for you right. and they and then someone would just go fucking missing like, <laughs> oh god but it's fucking scary because the shit is you know what I mean yeah. like a lot of people I grew up with they get murdered and like ended up in jail and you know it's it's not cool right and I wasn't even living that I I went to California I turned soft. You know, right. I was like, yo, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this shit anymore. Yeah. Well, I, after you live a certain way for so long, it just gets to a point where you just don't want to live like that anymore. Yeah. Well, it's, it gets, everything gets old. That bullshit gets old. Yeah. You know? So anyway, then, then my brother fucking bench warranted, didn't show up for his court case, got my phone number, called me relentlessly. And then he called the DA called me and my brother called me at the same time. And I merged the call and the DA recorded the phone call of my brother saying he was going to kill me again. Wow. And he sent that to the judge. The FBI got involved. They put a phone trace on my brother's phone. They found it within 24 hours. Wow. And that phone conversation from the court case is on the Bad Wolves album. Wow. Nation. It's in the song For a Friend, which is the, the whole song is about me being in the witness protection program. Wow. So that's the, that's the follow-up to Remember When. So there will And there will be another... This part three will come out too. That's insane. Like you really have to write a book. I did. No, I know. But that's I what did, I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. you've got to, people are going to just love this story though. Yeah. I didn't want to. I was like nervous. And then no. my, my, who made me write a book is super cool. Cause it was, I was speaking at a meeting and Ozzy Osbourne came up to me and he was oh. like, well, you gotta, you gotta write a fucking book, man. And I was like. <laughs> I can't write a book, man. You know, he's like, <laughs> I can't even talk. And I wrote a book. Nah. And I was like, yo. You're like, dude, that's insp that's inspiration right yeah. there. Yeah, him and Anthony Hopkins. Wow. Yeah, yeah, T Tony. Clarice. Yeah, he's like, call me Tony. <laughs> oh, like, that's Tommy, awesome. You have to write this. This is, you're going to change people's lives. Uh -huh. And I'm just like, Hannibal Lecter thinks I'm cool. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm such a nerd. So, yeah, so then I just got, I got to it. And so then, you got out of witness protection after dude croaked. Yeah. Um, and then from there, what happens? Uh, my brother got locked up. And then some months later, I testified against him. And uh, so I was on survival mode for like two and a half years. And I had these expectations like, okay, because he interrupted my life. Like, I got sober, and I moved back to New York, and then me and Doc from Bad Wolves were going to try to start a band. Right. You know? And um, my whole life got thrown up upside down. Yeah. And now and now Were like, you able to stay sober while you were on the run? Yeah, yeah. I stayed okay. so Yeah, this has been... So it, wow. That happened in 2009, September 2009. No, to September 2010. And I have stayed sober since May 18, 2009. So wow. it was very early on in my sobriety. That's so commendable, though, because most people would have buckled under that not stress. Not me. It's not me. It's yeah. God. Yeah. Every every turn I took, like every single, every step that I took, there was somebody there. Yeah. You know, there was like, you know, even even in my life now, I'm a, I am very... Uh, I'm very in tune with God's... So you're very in tune with God's messages. Yeah, because... Throughout the entire time I was going through this, I would like run into a sober person mm -hmm. and they'd be like, Hey man, I heard you speak at this thing, yeah. you know, and I was told to get into service, just do service, service, service. So I sponsored more people, more guys. 
I don't know. Only a couple of them stayed sober, but I was like sponsoring everybody. <laughs> I go to a meeting and pe- like all the all the people and the kids in rehab. They'll be like, yeah. And they all think they're tough. They're like, you know. But this is you know, I was in California, so right. Malibu's most wanted. Right. Like, I love a face tattoo and nothing else. And, <laughs> and my parents have yeah. fucking hella money. Yeah, my my grandpa is Warren Buffett, but right, whatever. exactly. Yeah. Nobody yeah. understands me. I'm yeah. like, all right, kid, you're gonna do this or you're gonna die. <laughs> I was just grabbing people and they're like, holy shit, Tommy's so serious. <laughs> But it kept me sober, right? Right, like, and so that's why I understand um, altruism. Like, whenever you know we're depressed or that shit, the best thing I can do is help another person. Absolutely, right? Because mm-hmm. it gets me out of myself. Because yeah. my anxiety and my depression are both centered around me, right? Like, I'm a, I'm anxious because I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me subconsciously, and I'm depressed because I because I'm nothing, right? And nothing's ever going to happen. You know, it's right. just, it's like. Yo, chill, bro. Like, that's real. Go help somebody. Right. I can't. No. Yes, you can. No, I get it. That's how I, that's what I try to use my platform for is to help people, you know, with mental health issues and stuff like that. I have so many people that ask me about that every week when I do my questions every Sunday. And, you know, it just feels good to be able to talk to people and be like, yeah, yeah, dude, like I go through this shit too. And yeah. Well, you're sharing your platform with them. You're making right. yourself available to be but a it's voice a service. for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, that's why people with social media, people are so surprised that I answer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what What else am I going to do? Same here. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? What the fuck do I have this for if I'm not going to talk yeah. to you? Yeah, I don't understand why people are like that either. Yeah. So when did Bad Wolves get formed? Bad Wolves started in 2017. So, oh, man, there's so many things that will... Go ahead. Oh, I actually want to get to this. So this is okay. actually very important. So I testified against my brother, and I fell into this crazy depression. I've mm-hmm. talked about this on Andy Forsella's podcast. And I stopped going to meetings. I stopped helping people. I stopped going to therapy. And I went through therapy through this whole thing, too, I, I might I add. Wow. So it's okay. Like, I be, I'm fully believe in getting help because Absolutely. we can't do this shit on our own. And, no. like, it, you know, sometimes I go That's in there and be like, oh, Huge, huge yeah. is... So shout out to Chris, my therapist in Manhattan, <laughs> who was appointed by the city. Holds all the secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, I became suicidally depressed again. Mm-hmm. And then I put I had a, my one suit and I put it on my mom's spare bed and laid it out. And then I went to the train station to jump in front of the train. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm so lucky I picked an above ground train. My best thing. I'm so like extreme. I was like, there's no way I want to get hit by a train and live. So I want to get, if the train doesn't kill me, then I'll fall and I'll definitely oh, die. Oh right? Because I don't I'm do not, it. I'm laughing because of how you're telling it. But I just don't like, do anything half-assed. Like everything right. I do, I'm, I'm like, like no, all right. Like you really thought gonna, about this. Yeah, I was not on some like, I, this is happening. Right. You know, like that's how I am. And, I, and, and so I like get there and I'm like, I, I stand all the way back at the edge of the other side of the platform I see the train coming and I'm like all right and then my phone started ringing mm-hmm. and I looked at the phone and I didn't know the number and I answered it and it was some kid <laughs> he's about to kill himself yeah. and he answers the phone and some kid was crying on the other phone and he was like is this Tommy and I was like I'm kind of in the middle of something right <laughs> you know and, and and he's like I need help and I looked at the train and I'm like God damn it. Acts of service. And so the train pulls in and I'm like, where are you? And he's he's like, I'm at Union Station. I'm like, all right, I'll meet you at Starbucks in 20 minutes. So I get on the train. I go meet this kid. And he's a fucking mess. <laughs> oh, he's like, oh, he's a, are we comparing heroin. messes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just but came I, from a but I about needed, to kill yourself. I needed somebody in a worse situation than right, me. Right, right. I was like, I got to help this kid. Right. I felt bad for him. Yeah. You know, he had like been left for dead mm. on a, under a bridge in like Chinatown from a heroin overdose by his friends. Oh, my God. And thrown out of his house. And I was like, okay, kid. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, there's a meeting right here. We're going to go get coffee. Like, I'm like, you got a dollar for coffee? You're like, like you know? me. I like projects. I yeah. love people that I can try to fix or try to help. Like, that gives me yeah. the mo- the, mo- the best feeling in the world is being able to help somebody, like, yeah. through something. Yes. But also, it could backfire sometimes. Oh, I know. <laughs> and, Trust uh, me, it's happened a few times. Yeah. My manager's over here like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So then, so he saved my life. 
And then I moved back to California, started a nonprofit called SFG 12, which is St. Francis Group 12. Mm -hmm. And then Korn endorsed it and Papa Roach and all these bands. And we did some benefit concerts with Snot. And um, it, it's very hard to keep a nonprofit going. Mm -hmm. So we wound up like shelving it. Um, but we, Yeah, I've we, looked into them before and there's a lot that goes into those. It's a lot. And if you're not rich, it's like, I was really, going to say a nonprofit crazy. is really not a nonprofit. It's like you put so much money into yeah, it just an, to get an, it to work. It's an upside down profit. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so we did that for a little bit. We we got some people into, into um, we, it basically, we were raising money to get musicians who didn't have record deals, beds mm -hmm. in Rio. So we did a little bit of that. That lasted a few months. And then I got a job working, running a men's sober facility in Santa Monica mm. called Madden House. And my my boss owned the biggest sober companion company in L.A. Oh. And they had all the celebrities. Yeah. And I had no idea. Like celebrity rehab. Yeah. It, no, like... They, I mean, like the you people know, like you how don't. All the celebrities were always there. They're so good at their job, you never find out which celebrities actually are having drug and alcohol problems because right. they call these people and then they people move in with you and they stay with you twenty four seven until you get your shit together. I feel like if more celebrities were open about their battles, it would help so many more people instead of that facade of just I, you know like we're perfect and we never do anything wrong. I think it's better when they get some time on their hands and then they're in recovery for longer because you know it could have an adverse ref uh, an adverse effect effect like when Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Right, thousands of kids killed themselves. Mm. Right, so because real. he was their hero, and he spoke their language, but he he tapped out, right. and so he gave them permission to do the same thing, and so that's, so I think it's important to get some time together. Um, that's true. Before yeah. coming out and be like, yeah, I'm sober, and you're like, you're in rehab again. Like, <laughs> yeah. why isn't it working? I'm two for days you? sober. Yeah. Hey everybody. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't write a song called Sober till I had ten years. Right. That was one of my favorite songs that you've ever written. Oh, thanks. Um. So yeah. So then, blah blah blah. Bands this that the other rehabs this then i did a metal band called westville massacre and then um the drummer of bad wolves was co-managing westville massacre mm -hmm. zoltan bathory called me in april of 2017 and said hey are you still a sober coach and i was like yes i am and he's like can you come to vegas and i was like i have a feeling i know what this is about mm. and um then i started working for five finger zoltan zoltan seems like a really cool dude yeah, he just seems dude. very down to earth and just like he's got a good head on his shoulders. Well, he's he's Zoe is a genius on paper. Like he right. literally is a genius. His brain yeah. is like insane. And also he's he escaped communist Hungary. Like he, right. he literally grew up in that and worked for the military, the Hungarian military, then moved to the U.S., didn't speak English. Learned English in New York City, lived in the hood, you know. What I mean? Right. Yeah. You know, worked for a record label, then learned self-taught himself how to like editing software. Got a job for NASA. Used the money That's to fund insane. Five Finger Death Punch. Wow. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's I didn't even know all that. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's a very brilliant guy. And That's he's, amazing. He's a very honorable guy too. Yeah. Which is like there's not. That's what a you lot get. Yeah, you get that vibe from him that yeah. he just seems super cool. Yeah. So, so anyway, we I traveled all over with Five Finger, uh, you know. Everybody knows the story there. Yeah. Ivan took a break. I stepped in. Ivan came back. Um, and I continued. Um, I had started working on demos with the with John from Bad Wolves, right? And so John was... Hey, well, man. Chaj. Come here. <laughs> Sorry. Hi. Do we get a kiss? <laughs> Just in the microphone. Oh, yeah. Chachi, get down. Good boy. Yeah. Chachi, get down. Get down. Get down. Get down. Are you okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, animals love me. I don't yeah. know. They like just, you know, people are like, oh, we never. Yeah. He's like, he doesn't like anybody, but he's know. like, give me a smooch. Yeah, Bubba. Um, right. Chachi, lay down. So, John, John and Max, this kid, Max Karen, he works for Faith No More. He's a guitar tech. And oh, I love he's Faith like, no More. he's a genius on guitar. He, Max is writing all these songs and John's playing drums on them and Max plays guitar and bass. And they sent me these these demos, uh, and I was like, "Yeah, this is cool." So I sing I sang one song, and it was originally supposed to be for a, a my buddy had he makes uh, commercials, so they were doing a BMW commercial, and they wanted me to write a metal song because the car is supposed to crowd surf like the new BMW. Right. We didn't get the the commercial got made. Right. But learn to live 
was the first song that we wrote together. And that's and then it was so good that I was like, nah, I'm not sending this in. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so Learn to Live is actually about one of my clients mm-hmm. who's like really struggling mm-hmm. and just kind of like how his experience in his generation, he's a younger guy, is how he was struggling with kind of the same age old issues that all people who are in their early 20s and, and late teens are going through. Right. But the way that they process it in that generation versus how we had to deal with it is so much different. Right. And it was, it's just so much, um, it's just like, we didn't have the internet, but we also, you know, got stabbed. Right. (laughs) Right. 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 You could get, you could get teased at school or beat up at school or robbed or whatever. But at least when you went home, only your parents could beat you. Right. But like now kids, they get abused on Twitter. They they get abused on social media 24 seven. It's more psychological than physical. And I don't know which damages you more, but, um, Mm. you know, so that's what learn to live was. And then he, I was like, I was supposed to be taking a vacation. I rented a beach house from uh, from my friend Nikki, and I was supposed to not work because I had worked for like five years straight. Right. And then he sends me these songs, and they're fire. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I go in and I I record all these like songs, and they were very progressive, and you could tell they wanted to be like tool away because mm-hmm. the songs were like 10 minutes long and i came mm-hmm. in and i was like no and yeah like we're like it's like pink floyd <laughs> yeah i'm like pantera verse chorus verse nirvana verse chorus verse the beatles like we're gonna do this right you know and so you know then when i left to go do the five finger thing then i got signed to better noise and came back and i had two bands and westfield massacre and bad wolves Right. Were both my Bad Wolves was supposed to be a side project. Westfield Massacre was on its second record. And those guys thought I was the singer of Five Finger, so they tried to steal the band from me. What? Yeah. So they literally tried to, they kicked me off all the socials and then tried to replace all my vocals. The same thing that's going on with Bad Wolves now. Right. And in that situation, I was like, cool, let's go to court. And I won because I own the trademarks. Right. You know, why are people always trying you, Tommy? I don't understand it. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, do they honestly think they're going to just go up against you and you're you're just going to lay down and take it? Like, that's what baffles me. No, I well, the thing with Westfield Massacre was I sold the name to them. Right. I was like, okay, cool. Here's the here's how much money I've spent on this. And like, you can buy the name from me. Cool. Right. And then I did. There was no real drama about it. Like, That's awesome. I just yeah, I was just like, yo, I'm, I'm not singing this band. I'm like, I'm in Bad Wolves. Right. I can't do all these bands. I'm like, I'm torn with five finger. I'm can't. Right. You know, I'm right, spread right. thin. So it was cool. And then those guys came back later on and all apologized to me. And like, we're all cool. Like we all broken bread and gone to dinner. And they're like, that's and that's like the OG way. Like you're supposed to have conflict with somebody and be able to resolve it and move on. You know, like when I was growing up, we used to I used to fight girls and then we would hug it out and be friends afterwards. Well, I grew up with my crazy ass brother. So we. Yeah. (laughs) You know, broken nose, broken teeth. Like you're like, ah, you know. Yeah. What happened to you guys? Like, nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Fighting over the last pancake. Right, (laughs) exactly. But, you know, like, that's, like, cool that you guys were able to move on from that, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, but that's how, you know, my that's how we grew up, though. Right. Also, like, our fathers were men. Right. Like, they weren't the best men, but they were men Oh, no, they were men, yeah. Yeah, and, like, if my neighbor said something to, you know, my mom, my dad would knock on the door and punch Mm -hmm. him in the face. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. You know, no, they were strong. Toxic men, men masculinity. I'm like, yeah, okay. Sick. It's just real though. Well, yeah. And so, um, so, you know, the, so I did bad wolves, right mm-hmm. now I had already recorded and written several songs with Philip Naslin, who's a producer that I worked on with Westfield massacre, mm-hmm. who also I met as a, another sober coach. Like he was mentoring one of my clients. So, we started working together on music because we had a mu- we had an artist client together, mm-hmm. and so we became friends and we worked on some stuff. I wanted to do a cover of Zombie, mm-hmm. and so he was my guy. So I went to Joseph McQueen at Sparrow Sound and Philip, and we did this song. And then the guys in Bad Wolves didn't want to have a have a cover. Even though the drummer and the ghost guitar player, who's not in the band, 
are the only people who write the songs. Right. So I was like, okay, what if Max, we use Max's guitar tone and we re-record the rhythm guitars, Mm -hmm. you know, but we'll keep the piano and Philip solo and it came back and it sounded more like it fit the band better. Right. And the label, like Alan was complaining because he listened to the whole first Bad Wolves record that we submitted and he's like, you have no singles. He's like, there's no hits here. That's crazy. Well, there wasn't. And so, oh, okay, so it wasn't so the one that got put out. It, it wasn't, yeah. That, so so most of the songs became B-roll, mm-hmm. and we went back in the studio. Mm-hmm. So I went into the studio with Drew Folk, and I wrote a song called Remember When. Zoltan put me in touch with Drew because he wrote a song for a band called Failure Anthem, and JD, mm-hmm. like, the song's amazing. So I meet Drew. We, ha- we hang out. He's like, tell me something about, you know, tell me something about yourself. So I'm like, well, you know, I got murdered and pretty crazy. (laughs) He's like, you want to write a song about it? And I was like, yeah. So we wrote that song and then um, we recorded it and I had Max redo the guitars again. Mm -hmm. And I was actually in Sweden on tour with Five Finger and they said, hey, your vocals got messed up. We need you to re-record. So I called philip because he's from sweden and he put me in front in touch with his friend christoph and i went in and i sang remember when right and then two days later they bounced it back and we were like oh yeah and the band did not want it on the record why because they because it wasn't metal they were trying to be like a metal metal band and i just come from singing in five finger and playing headlining festivals with three hundred thousand screaming europeans and i'm like i don't want to be in a metal band anymore right I'll, right I'm like, also <laughs> i as a singer i i'm gonna just be honest i'm better than that right like i'm beyond yeah screaming in a metal band yeah you know what i mean there's I mean, you nothing be able that, to use your pipes too and like well there's nothing that i can't diversity, sing diversity yeah. so yeah so i'm like at this point in my life i'm like i'm not angry and i'm you know i'm like i'm tough like yeah all that fucking pseudo fake bullshit. All those people are fucking pussies anyway. <laughs> Facts. Like, come at me. Fight me. I'm, I'm not, I, I will. You you heard it here first. I, I will literally knock out any single it's person a, in the entire metal industry, except for the dude from, except for probably Zoltan and Chris Kale. So dumb blonde exclusive, yeah. guys. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of anybody else who could actually even throw hands with me. Come and get it. Yeah. So, but it just is what it is. Like, right. No, it's just, I get it. You know, but you put me in. I totally you put me with Def Jam, saying. I get my ass kicked, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. But, you know, this, this hood dick is a hood, you know? Right. Anyway, so we did we did remember when and then i went to london and i met this man named dan Waite, and he was friends with dolores Mm -hmm. and he said hey i had heard the demos of zombie and i'm friends with dolores and i was like wow that's really interesting rest in peace yeah and i and so i was like would you send it to her and see if she likes it because the band doesn't want it on the record i feel insecure about it now because they say they don't like it he sends it to her. I go home for Christmas. I get a phone call. He's like, dude, she's over the moon about this song. She's like, I have to sing on it. Aww. So he sends me the voice message. She leaves him mm-hmm. about how much she loves the track. Wow. So I call the band. I'm like, guys, Dolores is going to sing on Zombie. And they all like, no, she's not. You're lying. And I'm like, I feel like they just wanted to kind of dim your shine. I think they well, knew they just, how great you were going to be. Well, know? they just never believed me. They're like, I'm like, believed in you. Yeah. I'm right. like, guys, we're going to get a record deal. They're like, no, we're not. I'm like, guys, we're going to go on tour with Five Finger Death Punch. No, we're not. <laughs> you know, just, I'm like, everything I've ever said Who is a whole. Hundred- to be around a bunch of negative ass people like that. Well, I, I brought a bunch of my old friends in. You know yeah. what I mean? Who weren't doing shit. Right. And, uh, you know, so it all, so then obviously everyone knows the story. And then Dolores passed away the night before she was scheduled to record. Mm. The label's like, we have to put the song out. I'm like, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want the money. Right. You know? And also, I'm the only person who is entitled to royalties. Right. So the studio musicians that played on it, they got paid. Right. And they signed off before this even happened. So I was like, if you, okay, we'll donate the, donate all my proceeds to her kids. So the label still made money off of it. They made millions of millions and oh, millions sure. of dollars off of it. I made zero. Wow. So a hundred percent of what I would have made went to her children. And so Aww. we raised hundreds of like within the first two months, you know, we had given them a check for a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. So and then the song just exploded and then the band was massive right. o- overnight. So then all of a sudden, you know, 
it's like 10 million views on YouTube. All from a cover they didn't want to do. 400 million, you know, yeah. Yeah, and so, and then there was like the secret, you know, management, and they were like, don't, you know, the people don't need to know who record records the records. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, why? But my friend played on this, and they're like, no, no, no. It's like, it's not going to look like, it's going to look bad, and the band has to look like a band, and da-da-da-da. And I was like, okay, like... So then I started like, and I've had clients who have these handlers around mm. manipulating and doing all this stuff. Yes, that's like huge I, in Hollywood. I've too. never been inside of it. Right. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like in the machine and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. But you know, and they're like, yeah, but look at all the good things that are going on. I'm like going along with it, you know. And so, you know, we had done, you know, tour after tour after tour after tour, the band blows up. And you know, work. You wrote most of Bad Wolf songs, right? No, no. Like this, I'll, and I'll give you a breakdown of the split. So, like, uh, so the singles—that's what I'm involved in, right? The, okay. me- the metal songs, I just do the vocals and the lyrics. You gotcha. know, I will take direction if John has has melody ideas because I don't really care that much about the super brutal songs. Mm-hmm. I've been writing that forever, right? For 25 years. Right. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, cool. It's not really that important to me. Um, what's most important to me is like the songs that we put out that are hits have a real message behind them. Right. So so I don't, tr- those guys are not capable of writing that kind of material. So we work with different producers. We worked with Brandon Sammons, who's worked with Lady Gaga. We've worked with Drew Falk, who's mm-hmm. worked with everybody. I work with Scott Stevens on the last Bad Wolves record, which now they're releasing you know they're releasing my songs right <laughs> and there's like we're already in a huge lawsuit right so can we dive into this a little bit because and in most of the questions a lot of people were asking you know they want it kind of like to know yeah i think one girl was like mad and she's like well why can't he just move on from the situation i'm, and not, I thought al- that, I'm I, not allowed to right and I, I was like i thought that was kind of like you know rude because you literally poured your heart and soul out into these songs that you know that they that they're putting out now oh it doesn't matter even if i even if i just walked away better noise music has told me they will never let me release another song for the rest of my career they will bury my career they will destroy me and this is you know I feel like this is kind of like reminiscent of Nikki Lipstick when she came on because uh, the he, the fashion industry tried to silence her too and she had to go toe to toe with them. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's like, you know, Alan Kovac is, he's the Harvey Weinstein of mm. rock, of the rock industry. Yikes. He doesn't, he doesn't rape women. He rapes his artists. Artists. And I mean, he ra- that's just he, as bad. He, he rapes you financially. Right. So he creates a debt racket so that you never actually have enough money to right. be okay. Like, I I could tell you there are artists who you would think are worth $100 million that have $3 million in their bank account. Right. I, I won't say who, but I know. No, I know. I, being with Jay, I yeah. have seen all the behind the scenes of well, yeah, so the they, fucking record, in, the, the music industry, and it's scary. Well, so they create a debt racket. And so mm-hmm. the band comes out. We're selling, you know, we're, we have, we're selling millions of copies of this single the, the for debut album goes gold like we're playing all these shows but we don't we can't get a dressing room uh we have no tour support so we have to go to a t-shirt company and ask them for a loan of seventy thousand dollars and then promise to sell the merch back right wow so we go into debt and lose all that money to pay for the bus to be on the tour and pay for the hotels and the flights it's just and like a, gas. a fucking whirlpool of just debt well that's the thing with me you can't like you can't outfox the kid, right, right, right. So I'm like, all right, every that hustler mentality. Well, every day I walk off stage at an arena, jump into the crowd. The whole all of 2018, jump right into the crowd, walk to the merch booth, sign till the next band goes on. I had every big mail. Why is the singer of Battles walking in the crowd? I was like, because I gotta get this bread, bro. Like I'm <laughs> and now we're selling ten thousand dollars worth of shirts a night, twenty thousand dollars worth of shirts a night. Right. Because I'm out there busting my ass. Yeah. Nobody else in the band comes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's another reason why the that's people my, know me because they've shook my hand. They know who I am. That's how my husband built his following. Yes. Sitting at the merch booth. That's every what does it fucking night. That's what does it. Mm-hmm. Because I will put in as first of all 
I don't take this shit for granted. And I know that there are people out there that are affected by my music and they might need to talk to me. Right. And I will fucking be there. Yeah. I don't even even post COVID. Yeah. Right? I've been doing free meet and greets on my whole tour this year. Mm-hmm. I've met over thirteen thousand people and shook their hands and I still haven't gotten fucking COVID. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> God, I got it in January and she just got over it. Yeah. I got it thing. last year. Did you? Yeah, it yeah. Uh, it sucked. But, you know, it's like I've had worse things happen to me. See, mine was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was bad. I thought I was going to fucking croak. I was like broke down in the middle of a fucking parking lot with Jay. Really? Jay Jay got a boner because I cried. He's like, I've never seen you this vulnerable. I was like, I'm going to die, dude. Like, what are you fucking talking about? That is such an introspective (laughs) look into you guys' relationship. Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, But, yeah, so like the connecting with the fans and trying to, you know, and then you know, so then we go into more debt and I'm like, yeah. so they're sending me, I'm just constantly doing 200 times the work of anybody else. I'm stressed out. I wake up, they're like, you got to get up at seven o'clock in the morning. We got to go do the morning show. And I'm like doing show up to the city, doing all the press, shaking all the hands, singing like shit in the morning. I'm like, this just is literally holding that band together though. You're like the, the well, face in the front man. Well, I tried everything. to, I tried to set boundaries with the, I'm like, I need a break. And they're like, you don't get a break. You're going to ruin everything. Then 200 people call you and tell you you're ruining everything. I'm like, oh my god and they shame you Mm. into working yourself to death god and so you know my relationship with the label was tarnished from the first year right and then i you know i like i'm such a workaholic even during 2018's tour i went in and i wrote all the hits for the second record in the fall in a week before the next tour so sober killing me slowly and learn to walk again we're all done in the four days that we had off and you've stayed sober through all of this all this pressure like that's insane but i'm just painting a picture here like but again survive being in the witness protection program and being (laughs) murdered so this nigga right here i'm like okay so they keep challenge accepted they try to throw me in hot water and i'm like all right you know i'll adapt right so then we did that so that's a lot on your shoulders dude yeah but it's like but this is what we sign up for right so i'm not so i'm just this is how it is right in that in that realm in no, that, i get it i see my arena. husband he's yeah. a fucking tank i don't know how he does it yeah i mean you just you have to be you're either born for it or you're not right and so sometimes you get too powerful right sometimes you get too strong right you know and then then the next record comes out and then boom same thing we're on tour we're on tour we're on tour we're on tour all the all the meanwhile no one realizing we got all these death punch tours because Zoltan made a promise to me, mm-hmm. right? My fee for sober coaching was too high for the band to pay, right? Right, because they had a lawsuit going on with their old label and da, da, da. they had all this shit going on. And I said I will work for thirty percent of my price if you promise to put me on tour with you in every market you can. Wow! And he honored that. Wow. agreement and even me and ivan had even had fights on tour and got not gotten along for whatever reason yeah and they still honored it they, wow. we all we honor the agreements so the, that's really re- honorable yeah, that they yeah. did that especially in this industry because yeah, motherfuckers do not fucking follow through on anything they say i know i know and so i have a massive amount of respect for those guys and so anyway we you know we we're doing all these tours. We're doing all this stuff. The band's blowing up. Where, you know, I remember we did some festival with Corn, and we went on at noon, and Corn went on at eleven, and we outsold every band in merch. And me and Zoe designed all the merch. I designed every piece of fucking everything. I named the band. I did all, like all yeah. this shit. So I'm like, yo, we're killing it, and, you know. And then we went. Everything was cool. We went on. We went out on tour with Megadeth and Five Finger, and it was like tons of sober dudes on the tour my ex-girlfriend i flew her out on the tour and like you know she had never seen europe and i was so excited to like take her and we were having problems at home because you know drugs and alcohol and and domestic violence to be honest like it was very publicized uh i I have to like tread lightly about how i can discuss this because i don't want to say anything negative towards her but also there was some there were a lot of things said about me that in court was proven not true Mm mm-hmm so anyway, we have this, we're having this amazing fucking tour. We come home and then we go into lockdown and I got sick in Italy and the whole tour got sick. And then we came home. I was fine. John got hospitalized. Mm. That's when we realized we had COVID. Right. So we were, we had COVID yeah. in Europe. Yep. Most of the tour got it mm. and we didn't know. 
So we everybody came home. Two weeks later, we're in lockdown. You know, I found some stuff on my uh, on my ex's devices, and I was like, I'm moving out, and I'm not doing this anymore. And it, it's it just got to that place, and it broke my heart because she was my one of my best friends for four years. Right. You know, we had both. I I was friends with her ex fiance. She knew my ex girlfriend. Like we had been through some stuff together. We were on a show together. We had corporate sponsors together. And she did me dirty. Aww. And, uh, you know, and it's, and I know she's been on this show and I, I've actually seen like, even at that point, she was still saying good things about me, mm-hmm. but it was when she realized I wasn't coming back yeah. that everything went like haywire. I hate that that happened between you guys. Cause you know, I think she's, you know, got her thing going. I think she's an awesome chick from what I've seen. I've never met her before. Um, you know, and I could tell that you guys really had love for each other you know so yeah that sucks when you go through something that you guys have had to go through that's fucking heartbreaking well i think that's i think it's multiple things i think that um there's uh we both come from traumatic backgrounds Mm -hmm. and so well a lot of people that are traumatized even mm -hmm. as children you find um comfort in other people who have the same wounds as you or wounds that you that you guys want to trauma bond right exactly like i never met i have night terrors because i have reenactment nightmares from my brother Mm -hmm. murdering me and there i don't really have experience them anymore um and then that was the first time i was in a relationship where like the other person was waking up screaming and i would be like oh but i knew exactly how to handle the situation and we just got very we were just very very tight yeah and i think that um in retrospect i think there was like the drama once we were in a committed relationship it was like constantly you know who's this girl you know that whole thing like and and it turned into like craziness yeah you know and then after all of the accusations i've never cheated on anybody in my entire life after all that for it to you know it's like disheartening well you realize when when somebody's very vehemently saying that you're doing something and you're literally not right and then it comes out that it's like why they're saying it and it was just sad yeah And and it was heartbreaking and but i'm also like i think I just keep it moving. Right. I'm so used to getting hit that even before I start to process what's going on, you know, I was just already on to the next. And I'm sure that that was painful and that caused a lot of retaliation. And then. They well, that's would, part they, of your trauma too, though. If you yeah, think yeah. about it is how you move on from things. That's stems yeah, from yeah. how you were raised. Well, I mean, and all you the shit at, you've fucking been through. Well, you look at the band and what they did and I was like, <clears> oh, I'm going on tour. Yeah. Everyone's like, what is he? What? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm going on tour. I don't yeah. care. Like, yeah. you're like, what? How could you just? And then it just, you know, uh, well, you know, well, fuck you. Yeah, him. you're not gonna just lay down and die. I'm like, bro, like, you know. So yeah, so that that whole thing happened, and you know, we got we went, to, we went to court, and then the you know they like she accused me of domestic violence and beating her and choking her and dragging her around the house and strangling like crazy shit. With no photos and no nothing and no police reports. I'm like, and literally witnesses who were like, this did not happen. Right. You know what I mean? And so, you know, our relationship kind of came to a head when she tried to crash my car on on New Year's. And and going to Europe was a Band-Aid. Right. You know, like, I don't drink. Right. I, I can't. I'm just like, whatever's going on, like, it's not, it's off the table for me. Right. You know, so... It just got to where it got, and and it is what it is, and whatever. Yeah, (laughs) like there's nothing you could do about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and the thing with me too is like nothing will, nothing in this world. My heart, I'm already. I start with a broken heart. My brother has shattered my heart into a million pieces. Right. So I'm not really. So if you just hurt me, I'm just like, "Eh." I'm like, all right. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. Like okay, and then I just get back to work. (laughs) It's a nightmare. (laughs) So moving on from that, you got into this relationship i didn't get into this is very important okay. <laughs> very important i'm saying i'm staying in this i fucking hit on nicole arbor on election night. oh god we're using first and last names i don't give a shit okay i'm, t- I'm with it i'm completely well, allowed to say anything I, d- I want stay tuned to next week's episode to see what happens in part two of dumb blonde podcast <laughs>